When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Lavender U, a community for LGBTQ plus women and femmes, where we talk about all things queer media and representation. I'm Jamie Margolin, and today on the pod, we have Rachel Bloom. Rachel Bloom is the co-creator and star of one of my favorite shows on earth, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, which is a musical about a workaholic young Jewish woman named Rebecca Bunch from New York who moves to the West Coast to go on a journey to try and find true happiness. Not only is it amazing representation for us Jewish girls, I mean, seriously, it is the most relatable and iconic Jewish girl representation I've ever seen on television. But the show also has some of the most wonderfully casual queer representation I've ever seen. Um, The show has gay characters, bisexual characters, even a song about being bi called Getting Bi. It's truly amazing. Rachel, this Jew is fangirling so much. I'm so freaking excited to talk to you. Welcome to the pod. Thank you for having me. Yay. Okay. Crazy Ex-Girlfriend has gotten me through the most difficult times in my life. I've watched the show front to back four times through. So before we dig into the details of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, I just want to say to everyone, we're going to be talking about the show, which means that there will be spoilers. You have been warned. Crazy Ex-Girlfriend is streaming on Netflix, so go do your homework and watch the show and then come back here If you don't watch it, you're anti-Semitic. Just kidding. Not really. Um, (laughs) So, Rachel, tell us about yourself. Who are you and what do you do? I'm a I'm a jack of all trades. Uh, I'm a I'm a writer, comedian, singer, actor (laughs) uh, person. I basically am someone who goes where the gigs are. Uh, That's kind of been my over my overall philosophy. And so I had been separately kind of making my own uh, music videos online this is uh just in the days where there was youtube obviously there was no there was no tiktok there was no vine um vine is dead but uh, yes <laughs> i know vine, i know vine is dead but I, I wanted to say there was no tiktok and then i also wanted to say this was also pre-vine um and i'd been trying to to kind of turn that musical stuff into more long form uh, television pitches and this woman aline brosh mckenna saw my music videos and um, she is a, a, an amazing screenwriter. She wrote The Devil Wears Prada, oh. among many things. And uh, she and I uh, got together and created Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Amazing. I love your YouTube videos. Uh, historically accurate. Um, Disney Princess is, is one of my favorites. Thank you. For those out there who hate Jews and haven't watched Crazy Ex-Girlfriend yet, <laughs> what is the show about and how would you summarize it? <laughs> I would say that Crazy Ex-Girlfriend is... a. Um, it's a fucked up romantic comedy about a woman who is unhappy in her outwardly successful life and she runs into her ex-boyfriend from summer camp when she was 16 years old and on a whim she decides to move to be where he is um to recapture the last time she was happy and that place is west covina california and crazy ex-girlfriend is her a journey of trying to find happiness through a man 
and through various men, actually, uh, slowly figuring out what makes her actually happy from the inside out rather than the outside in. Yeah, it's a very beautiful journey about um, mental health and, and all of that that I found truly amazing and comforting. Another thing that I found, like, really comforting about Crazy Ex-Girlfriend is the way, like, queerness is, like, so casually represented. So the main character, um, Rebecca Bunch, is straight, and it's about, you know, her chasing after guys. But there are a lot of queer side characters who who have their own storylines very well developed and it's never a thing of like oh my god they're gay let's go into this and have a big homophobic reaction and make a thing of it instead it's like very casual so like one of the characters Rebecca's co-worker Maya is a bisexual character and has a storyline where she's pining over a girl and a straight man Nathaniel Rebecca's um, love interest slash boss is also pining over a girl and they both there's this episode where they both set off to like help each other get the girls that they like. And it's never a thing about, Oh, you're gay or queer. You're a girl who likes a girl. It's just Maya's in love with someone and it happens to be a girl. Like how was the creation of, I guess the, the very casual queer representation, like how did that come to be? And what was the decision to include so many like queer characters in such like a casual way? You know, I got a really credit Aline, Aline on this. Um, we always knew the character of Daryl Whitefeather, who ends up being a bisexual man. Um, we always knew that he was going to start as kind of like a, a the clown, right? He was kind of like the duncey bad boss, you know. And we wanted to go deeper than that because the whole show was about kind of dismantling stereotypes. Mm -hmm. And that's like musical stereotypes, rom-com stereotypes, and even sitcom stereotypes. And we hadn't seen talked about that exists that also would really deepen him is if he were if he was grappling with his sexuality, which is that he's he's bi. Um, it, we we literally hadn't seen any positive representation uh, with bisexual men, and, and I think when we wrote the song "Getting By" for Daryl to finally say like I'm bisexual, the character of Daryl Whitefeather, Aline and some of the writers, Ann Adams Schlesinger, who is the main writer of Getting By, they met with a rep from GLAAD and really talked about not only the song, but um, how bisexual people have been represented and, and, and what going beneath all the like negative representation or the stereotyping of, well, how would someone come out and what is it like to come out as bi? And what are some of the misconceptions that maybe we could help clear up in a song? And getting bi came in the middle of season one. And by then I was so in the, the thick of things. I was like, you know what, Adam, just take getting by. It's going to be great. Because I think I had had a different idea for that song. It was going to be more like Music Manny, like by the by, I'm by or something mm -hmm. like that. And and Adam was like, no, what about getting by? And it's like a Huey Lewis in the News type song because Daryl is in his late 40s, early 50s. So was Adam, so was Aline, and they were like, let's do a song like the music he'd listen to. And he knocked it out of the park. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, and so for all the listeners who haven't heard Getting By, which is Daryl, um, the main character's goofy boss, he called a work meeting with his coworkers, and they all thought that it was like some important meeting about work. And then he's like, I have something to tell you. And he breaks into song about being bisexual. Um, so here's a listen. Now some may say, are you just gay? Why don't you just go gay all the way? But that's not it. Cause bi's legit when 
I love how the the characters' reactions isn't like, oh my god, you're you're by how strange, but they're just like, dude, it's it's work. Like like none of the characters I feel like in the show, it's really refreshing. So much of queer stories is often like homophobia. Oh my god, I hate you. You're gay. I'm gonna bully you. Like all all of that kind of that that kind of stuff. Um, but in the show, they're just more annoyed that like he's singing a song and it's a work meeting and they're like, please stop. Um, so how was, I guess, creating that world where, where everyone, I don't know, there isn't a lot of discrimination in Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Yeah, we wanted to be reflective of, of what we observed and, and, and look, we live in, you know, LA, it's, it's super, super liberal. Um, and the San Gabriel Valley where Crazy Ex-Girlfriend takes place is definitely more, I don't know, more, more conservative in some ways. Um, but um, growing up here, Southern California is such a, a, a melting pot and it's a melting pot in a way that like you don't, when I was growing up, it wasn't like even commented on how much of a, a melting pot it is. Um, and I think now in a good way, people are much more vocal about their, um, their identity and where, and where they come from. But, um, but, but I just, I felt like I, we always said that like, Southern California feels like it's it's all it's people of all cultures uh, coming together to go to the same Applebee's, yeah. and so we we wanted to kind of I don't know reflect that this is this is what the world is now this is what America is, at least the Americans we've observed were by and large like more okay um, with people coming out as LGBT and I know. Um, I mean, look, I, I'm on the way, way more liberal side. My high school did the Laramie Project. I didn't, I didn't grow up in a conservative community, but I remember my one friend, uh, numerous people have come out to me. Um, but my one friend who came out to me, he came out to me over AOL Instant Messenger. He was like a junior and I was a senior and he's like, so by the way, I'm gay. And I went, oh, congrats. Cool. And then we just like talked about something else. I don't know. It was just, um, it was more casual. So and then I think that there's also something very trite about someone coming out as gay and it's such a big deal. We've just seen that before. So, I think that's yeah. something Aline and I Aline and I wanted to do with this show in general is subvert expectations. Yeah. And so even when it came to the lead guy not being white. Yeah, um, the main romantic love we, we, is Filipino. We've we've seen a kind of like dumb white surfer bro many times. Right. And we wanted we wanted that bro, but it was like, well, what's a type of bro? who exists that we legit haven't really seen. And the answer was like an Asian bro. Um, Cause there are a ton of Asian bros and, um, but we'd never seen it on TV and, and this predated the good place. What I still focus on. Yeah. The is, show is very is, racially diverse as well. What we did was we wanted to not only go for like stories that haven't been told, but things we know to be true that have, that we do not see in media. Mm -hmm. So when we, did research about West Covina, and I'd been to West Covina a couple times, um, but I wasn't an expert. We literally studied the racial demographic, and we tried to the best of our ability to cast the show roughly according to that demo, and then especially it's reflected in our background actors, mm -hmm. and we would say 
we'd be in production meetings and Aline, who was the showrunner of the show, she would say, well, and then this for the scene for background, just get our usual West Covina mix. Mm. It just became like shorthand. But we also tried to make it as age diverse and body type diverse as yes. well. Yes. We just wanted to be realistic. And that's what I love about the show. It's not like preachy and like, oh my God, everyone is loved and well. It's not like over the top, like preschool, like everyone gets along, but it's just real. And that's another thing I love about the show is just all of the characters. It's just so realistic and it doesn't feel like you're watching like airbrush Hollywood movie stars. It feels like you're watching real life. Um, another thing I, I love about Crazy Ex-Girlfriend and the way it subverts expectations is through the character of Valencia. So for, for backup for everyone listening. So Rebecca Bunch is in love with the guy who she moved to West Covina for, Josh Chan. But Josh Chan has a girlfriend named Valencia who is like this incredibly hot, just like very stereotypically like um, the Hollywood model, like thin and beautiful. At the beginning, um, she's like the, the other woman that Rebecca's competing with. But by the end of the show... Um, she completely gets over Josh Chan and falls in love with and proposes to, and she says yes, so eventually off screen gets married to a woman named Beth. And that's never questioned or interrogated. Valencia actually never comes out. It's just like a fast forward uh, time jump of the show. Valencia, you see her dating Beth, and then by the end, she really wants to get married to her and she proposes to Beth. And it's just like, it's such a great subversion of like the heteronormative mean girl. How did the creation of that plotline with Valencia come to be? And also just the overall subversion of like the, the, you know, mean girl that you're competing with to get the guy, because eventually Rebecca and Valencia actually become really close friends and Valencia deeply cares about Rebecca. It was a gradual process. Um, we we pitched out kind of the overall arc of the entire show in, in rough, rough, rough ways when we first pitched the show. And we were originally a pilot for Showtime. And when we were with Showtime, the idea is that we were going to be a half-hour show, you know, 10 episodes a season. When we went to the CW, we suddenly became an hour show with the first season had 18 episodes. And then the fourth season had 18 as well, although they kind of sprung that on us. <laughs> um, it was very unexpected. But anyway, um, it suddenly gave us a lot more time to develop every character. We really loved working with Gabrielle Ruiz, who played Valencia. She was originally a guest star for the first season. And then, um, you know, again, I think I'm going to credit Aline. She was like, I think Valencia should. We we wanted her to fall in love with someone um, who uh, appreciated her for her. And she was like, I think Valencia just falls in love with a woman. And this was based on Aline's experience. Aline happens to know <laughs> quite a few women who... Um, married were married to men um you know all intents and purposes straight and then like got divorced or whatever and then we're like i fell in love with a woman and it just not being like a thing um it being very much of like yeah i guess i'm queer or whatever i just I, I fell in love with a woman um and she just like let's represent that and and let's represent also then a type of a type of gay woman we also don't see on television in, in the case of Beth, which is someone who um, is more like, I don't know how I, 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 what's the proper way to describe the character of Beth? She's 
more on the like I guess the gender spectrum. Gender queer. I mean, Emma like, Wilman, definitely not as stereotypically feminine presenting, more like kind of butch, but not super. I, in in the very specific yes. lesbian terms, we would say soft butch um, is what she is. Great. Yeah. Great. I, I was like, no, I was it's like, not oh, God, offensive. I don't, I, it's not offensive at all. Like it's fine. You're good. Yeah. Like I just didn't. You know. And also, even the term, like even the wording we used for the audition three years ago, I'm like. I forget what we said, but, but yes, basically like not femme prison. Yeah. Not a femme. Like someone yeah. who, and, and actually Emma Willman who plays uh, Beth uh, describes herself regularly as like, I'm gender wiggly. <laughs> um, I love that. And I've like, never heard gender wiggly yeah, before. I've heard gender fluid, but gender wiggly. That's, that's great. I love that. I love it. I love it. We tried to fit it on the show because I was listening to her podcast. She, she has a great podcast called Out of the Closet oh, um, with this other guy, Mateo Lane. And we wanted to put Gender Wiggly um, somewhere in there, um, but it, it didn't, didn't fit. But, it. but yeah, someone who was like more Gender Wiggly. I was like, should we have a moment where Valencia comes out as like, bye. And Aline was like, no, because we're also skipping ahead eight months. Let's just, it's a thing. She now is a girlfriend. She fell in love with a woman. And I think something I really something I really like with Aline's sensibility is um, I I think I'm still at the point where I could get very, like, precious and, like, big deal with things. Like, I am this. Everyone react. Right, yeah. And Aline is very, very not precious. And I actually think Meryl Streep, when she was talking about The Devil Wears Prada, said something like that about Aline's writing, that her her writing is very not precious. It really informed the show. There was just a, a, a subtlety non-preachiness to the writing on the show that I was always that that would that would surprise me. And that's what's incredible because, um, from topics of racial diversity to like LGBT topics, the show is never preachy. You never feel like you're being lectured. Another thing that I really loved is the way that it represents queer men, specifically the subverting of the gay best friend stereotype, where the gay guy is just they're happy to to set his needs aside and just serve the straight people but the the one of the main gay characters they call him white josh because the main love interest josh is filipino but then gay josh is white but they call him white josh anyway white josh is just like the super (laughs) cynical dude um but he's just focused on his own life and his own love interest and he's not like scrambling to serve all the straight people all the time and usually like it's the stereotypical like existing for the straight people especially for the straight girls because gay guys are usually fetishized like that and they show that in there's this song called the group mind has decided you're in love where essentially a bunch of people are fetishizing white josh and daryl's relationship daryl's bi and white josh is gay and they were in a long-term relationship and they broke up and then people were like oh my god you're so cute you're my otp like treating them like they weren't people and that that is so common i think for for queer couples is there's the one extreme which is like the homophobia of like you're disgusting and then there's the other almost like you're so like cute and i i don't know i just i found that great the the way that it kind of made fun of that and like even in another song let's generalize about men where they're like gay men are all really great every single one and they're like they're never rude just sassy they're all completely adorable and fun which is like that's how a lot of straight people straight women see gay men but and 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 this is i mean that that specific that specific came from my observation of like there are some gay guys i've met who are fucking assholes and they get a pass because sometimes people are like, yeah, you're outrageous. And it's like, no, that guy's a fucking asshole. Yeah. And if he were straight, we'd call him a fucking asshole. And Exactly. But now we're calling him delightful. 
but like he's a right. mean person exactly and i think the whole thing like from the group mine has decided you're in love where they're all dancing and then tim is like you're the only people i know who are lgbt so like you should be together yeah and- tim was always kind of our avatar for like the most basic um most basic like white guy who's just gonna say dumb shit and he he says like he's a co-worker for context he's one of rebecca's co-workers yeah and he says like you're kind of the only two lgbtq people i know so to me it's clearly fate um <laughs> yeah. which is which is how i just you know they're in a group of friends if there are two queer people people will be like you guys should date and it's like no, yeah it's- my best friend's cousins dogs babysitters like massage therapist's friend is gay you you do you guys know each other you should date yeah like I fall into that shit just because I want to set people up. I find myself like I'll meet someone like gay and I'll be like in and and they're like, yeah, I'm looking, I'm single in the back of my head. I'll like Rolodex people. Um, no, I also do that I don't for feel straight. like that's problematic, though. I do I that feel for like straight people. That would people. be helpful. Like, I don't know. If I was in a situation, you're like, I know a girl. I'd be like, that's helpful. Thank you. Um, Are you so looking? I, yes. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I live in New York. Right. Um I'm 19. Um, no, anyway. Um, but what I'm what I'm saying is, yeah, I just love the way it the show humanizes gay people in the sense that because it's usually like the gay guy would be all like, oh, my God, girl, let me help you get the guy. But then the gay guy is the most uninterested in her love life out of every single person in the show. And he's like, oh, my God, you're so annoying. Yeah. And that's also based on um, I, I write about this a lot in my book. I have a, I have a book out and um. I, my best friend, um, Brendan, he's gay. And like, he has been, before I got together with my husband, he was so just frustrated and overhearing about my love life. He was like, Mm. ugh, you're dating morons. I'm tired of talking about this. He was just very (laughs) not, um, so thoroughly uninterested. And it was delightful. That's wonderful. There is a lot of, like, queer representation in the show, but I also want to just pivot to something. I know that the the podcast isn't specifically about this, but it is about representation as a whole. Um, pivoting to the Jewish stuff. So as a reform, like, Jewish woman who doesn't entirely believe in God, I love the representation of Rebecca Bunch, who is also, like, a reformed Jewish woman who's very, like, identifies very strongly with Jewish culture, but isn't, like, religious. Crazy Ex-Girlfriend is just such a good representation of people who are, like myself, who are, like, ethnically and culturally Jewish, but, like, don't sign on to everything in the Torah. And I love a scene where I think Rebecca told a rabbi that she doesn't really believe in God, and then the rabbi was like, how Jewish of you to question things, and I've had that, like, exact experience. And it's just so spot on. I feel like a lot of people, they're only, like reference point of like mainstream jewish like media is like fiddler on the roof a musical about you know jewish people in russia in the olden days and now this show is just such a great contemporary representation like how much of rebecca bunch is like your experience and like how is creating like such a wonderfully jewish show um it's it's definitely my mentality mixed with the experience of um Aline grew up in New Jersey, and so there are elements of that. And then my husband was raised very Jewish. Um, mm. He was raised, um, his parents say conservative. He says conservadox, so I don't know, somewhere in between there. But he Somewhere he between was, orthodox and conservative. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he was raised to keep kosher. Um, right. You know, like, like there are two sets of dishes and silverware in his parents' house. Um, he went to yeshiva until eighth grade. Um, we kind of took more of like a... Um, you know, step down from that, but kind of more of a typical East Coast Jewish upbringing. Yeah. And then filtered it through Rebecca's point of view and and just true to 
how she would be about Judaism and, and that reaction. And, and again, it's just getting specific with her character. I think it's, it's for how many Jewish people are involved in entertainment. And yes, there are a lot of Jewish people in entertainment. And part, and part of the reason, by the way, just to say, is Jews for a long time couldn't get jobs in other things. And so they could get jobs in entertainment, which is why you have a, a, a lot of Jews in entertainment. It's the same with, with um, you know, the idea of Jews in finance. For yeah, a exactly. long time, Christians saw being moneylenders as, you know, being a moneylender as being impure. So money lending was, was some of the only jobs Jews were allowed to have. Anyway, I just want to get beneath the stereotype yeah, um, for yeah. anyone listening. Um, but what's interesting, for how many Jews there are in entertainment and show business, <laughs> there should be a lot more discussion of Judaism and Jewish identity, and there isn't yeah. because there is a fear, especially on television up until recently, of alienating middle America, of mm. getting too ethnic or too specific. Mm. And I think we did a lot of stuff in the show that would have been considered and still is considered like, well, no one's going to, you know, middle America is not going to relate to that. This is not going to, people are not going to relate to this on a mass level. Now, were we the la the lowest rated network television show of like all time? Yeah. Um, what? CW has generally lower ratings. We were a very low rated show on a very wow. low rated network. Best but it's, but it's show. why a lot of people think we're a Netflix show is because a lot of people have seen the show only on Netflix. Um, and also we remain a cult hit. Um, it is a cult hit. Yeah. For, for the reasons that the show is incredibly specific. Um, it, well, it doesn't, yeah. The, the whole show is like a journey of Rebecca Bunch eventually gets diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. And it's like a whole journey of like the struggle of finding the right meds, therapy, diagnoses. Um, there, there is a really, I think, well, really sensitive um, and well done like depiction of a, a suicidal event. But Rebecca Bunch really goes to really dark places and she struggles immensely with her mental health. And while the show on the surface is like she's chasing a guy, the reason deeper is that she's so deeply unhappy. I really appreciated that. And I feel like so many people it was just such it was like the only depiction I've seen on like TV and especially with musical numbers and just in such a light way um, talking about antidepressants, talking about therapy, talking about recovering from a suicidal event talking about all these important things that are so stigmatized but it was handled so sensitively and with care and with humor when it was appropriate how was that like in creating that like that is something i'd never seen to that extent we wanted to show someone getting better um there's we've seen the kind of the the almost like the promise of the premise if you will to to use that term is the fourth episode of season three in which Rebecca, it turns into fatal attraction. Rebecca's like, I'm going to get revenge on my ex. And we literally mm -hmm. do it like a, like a horror movie, a woman scorned horror movie. Mm -hmm. um, and she digs herself in a very, very, very deep hole. And then she has to come out of it. Um, so we, we all, we see the, the kind of woman going, you know, the bitch going insane from a male gaze um, but we never right. see like, well, what happens after the bitch goes insane, quote unquote, right? And what causes right. the bitch to go to, to go insane? And is she really insane? Exactly. And so it was important just to, once we did that, such a like kind of stereotype, typical episode in which Rebecca is happy to wallow in being a stereotype uh, because yeah. seeing half of, half of us seeing women as, as these kind of one dimensional characters, it's, it's just women seeing women as that. We, yeah. We look to the media for 
it's as much on us and our problem as it is like men or, you know, the kind of larger patriarchal gaze telling us what to be. It's us having a lot of self-imposed restrictions and ideas about what we should and shouldn't be. Coming out of it, we wanted to show, okay, what would this actually be like when someone's a quote-unquote crazy ex-girlfriend? What does that actually mean? <laughs> here's here's actually like psychologically what might be going on uh, beneath that. And so it was a combination of personal experience. I mean, my own experience with um, dealing with bouts of depression and OCD throughout my life and, and wanting to, you know, find an answer that informed the song and diagnosis. Um, and then, and then talking to therapists about personality disorders and then just doing, doing research. And I feel like that's the, that's the whole show. I mean, I can tell that, that from the LGBT plot lines to the mental health plot lines to the plot lines about race and Judaism, like everything is just so well handled and well researched. A lot of discussions, especially like pivoting back to the LGBT stuff, Queer people can tell when something's made by straight people and when something has queer voices and form. Like, for example, Blue is the Warmest Color. That's like the French movie about lesbians directed by a straight man that's just basically mm. like porn with dialogue in between. And I know it means a lot to some people because it was like all a lot of people had. But like I can watch that movie and be like, this was not made for me. This was uh, this is a male fantasy or this is a straight people's assumptions as opposed to like one portrait of a lady on fire made by a lesbian. Um, Celine Sayama came out. I was like, this is for me. Like, I feel like like, OK, some shows with the gay characters. I'm like, this is a straight person's imagination or this is like not for me. This is how a straight person would like to envision gay people fitting into their life with Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. I was like, this is for like I. I don't know. I just had that like, okay, like who's behind this? And I guess the more general question would be for other people listening who want to make media that is inclusive. Like if you're talking about a community, you have people behind the scenes that are from that community. So how did you guys make sure to to have the people behind the scenes to make the story so authentic? And how can other people do that as well? Yeah, um, well, we did have uh, one or two uh, queer people in the writer's room. And then it was also very important for us to have a Filipino writer um, because, you know, one of our leads was Filipino. We knew that we were going to be doing like Filipino Thanksgiving in the first season. That was very important to have that representation. The the great thing about if you're doing a, t if you're doing a television show, that's what a writer's room is for. It's not only there for people to, you know, help the showrunner realize the vision of the show but also to bring different points of view in and so I think it's then on the creator and showrunner to uh, respect people and not also not tokenize them yeah. um, and I think we're, we're still finding that balance you know what does diversity mean what is diversity versus like inclusion I I heard someone talked about talk about diversity and really call it like Instead of, I want a writer's room that's diverse, I want a writer's room that's reflective. Mm. You know, having a writer's room that's reflective of the content you're creating. Because you you can tell when it's coming from an othering place. And then if you're writing a movie, you know, have a table read of the movie with different people. I, th I think it's just important to not write in a, in a vacuum. At some point in the process, get, get opinions uh, from the type of people you're portraying yeah definitely 
during the making of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, did you face any, like, backlash from the network or executives for, like, any queer representation in the show? Like, just talk to people, both on the podcast and, and just in general, where they're like, we wanted to take the story this way, but the network or said, like, no, that's too gay or that's too this. Did you ever face that with the CW or were No, CW just, like- is really good about representation. And also, we, we were par- paired originally with Jane the Virgin, who already had a... a one of their lead characters was gay um oh yeah jane the virgin amazing representation yeah yeah so so that's just kind of in a great way was that is like the cw's bread and butter you know even before it was like i guess quote unquote cool so no we never we never faced that that's amazing i think that's how it should be and i think more like not adult as in like inappropriate for kids but like non-children's media networks are doing a, a a good job of like not censoring, but I feel like people, we still have a long way to go with like children's media. They're still like, it's inappropriate to be gay. But then they'll show like people getting violently killed in a cartoon and we'll be like, but that's great for children. That's right. Because there's like, oh, because to talk about like gayness, it, you know, is it's inherently um, sexual. It's, it's just because people don't want to yeah. explain. It's just because people don't want to explain to their, you know, their kids. Like, How will I, I explain know. to my child is the most annoying sentence I've ever heard. At, at and some and point, the answer is like, like, I just rewatched Little Miss Sunshine and Steve Carell is talking about his background. He goes, I fell in love with a, a boy and Abigail Breslin's like, a boy? That's silly. And he's like, yeah, no, it was silly. And she's like, okay, you love boys. Like, I think kids actually understand it um, they don't the care. most. It's the follow-up <laughs> questions that parents don't want to answer. Kids don't, but kids don't give a shit. Yeah, it's it's interesting and and I think just more normalized representation is taking us in the right direction. So what's next for Rachel Bloom? I know you have a new book out. I want to be where the normal people are. Is there anything else that we could look forward to or anything else that you're working on? Yeah, I mean, uh it's all like stuff that I'll be able to announce when I can announce it. Um, you know, when there's like a contract signed, uh but there is th- there are things happening. Um, but until then, you can buy my book. And that is, I want to be where the normal people are. I very much relate to the title. Um, and I, I love the the cover of the book. Oh, it's beautiful. Like staring out the window like the Little Mermaid, but you're like staring out just a window. It's great. Yes. You can watch Crazy Ex-Girlfriend um, on Netflix. It's streaming. And you can buy Rachel's book, I Want to Be Where the Normal People Are, everywhere you buy books. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. And thank you, Rachel, for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Thanks for listening to this episode of Lavender You. Our show is produced by Goal 17 Foundation, and our theme song is Love Line by the one and only Zolita. We release new episodes every other Thursday, so make sure you like, rate, and subscribe on Spotify, YouTube, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. And follow us on social media too. We are at LavenderUPod, that's Y-O-U, on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you're a queer person out there who's just feeling alone or sad or anxious or like no one in the world understands what it's like, know that you are not alone. Lavender U is a community of people who love and accept you. And our DMs on social media are always open if you need to talk. Send us a message anytime. We are here for you. See you next episode. And until then, 
long live the gays.